Good morning. <laughs> oh, well, I feel like I'm ready to like go into a WWE match right now. Um, well, I'm just so excited to be here with you guys today. We are really just going to jump right into Romans 14 because Pastor Mark has told me that I have to go through an entire chapter today, and so I don't want to keep you guys for hours and hours, and so I really just want to dive right into this. So you can go ahead and turn to Romans 14, but before we begin, I just want to preface the way that we're going to begin, because we are going to begin a little bit differently today, because because of the fact that we're covering an entire chapter in Romans, we're not going to be able to go through every single verse and hit every single nugget that Paul is giving us today, and so While we're not going to be able to cover every verse, I wanted to make sure that we still hear every verse. And so this morning, I felt led throughout this week as I was praying. I was like, God, are you sure you want me to read all of Romans 14 at the the front end? And he kept telling me, yes, yes, yes. So we're going to read Romans 14 all together, not like you guys standing up and reading it too, so no one panic, just together this morning before we begin. Now, as I told my wife, Cassie, that I was planning on reading all of Romans 14 out loud, she audibly groaned out loud and said, do we have to? And I believe that that's a pretty serious sentiment, maybe, that some of us in the room, some of you guys in the room are feeling right now that, oh, Nathan, do we have to? Because sometimes, if we're being honest, when someone starts to read a large portion of Scripture, we start to check out or we get bored and we just zone out until the person starts speaking again um, from something other than the Bible. But I want to read all of Romans 14 today, not just for the sake of context, but for the sake of hearing God's word for you and for I today. In every other aspect of our faith, we have to discern whether what we are hearing is from God or not. When we're praying and we hear a small, still whisper, we have to discern, was that you, God, or is that just my conscience, or am I hungry? Or when we're in a hurry and we get stopped at a red light, we have to say, God, are you asking me to slow down, or is that just because that stoplight is on a timer for a minute and a half. Or even when I'm up here today, you have to discern whether what I am saying is from God or from something else. And prayerfully, it is from God today. And yet we have this. It's not just a tool. It's not just something we use uh, to grow our knowledge of who and what Jesus is. It is God speaking to a specific people for you and I today. And so it should change how we listen to, engage in, meditate on, and delight in this text. We don't have to do this every single Sunday, I realize, but when I feel led, I'm going to read all of Romans 14. And so I want to start today by reading Romans 14. But before we do that, would you guys all just please pray with me and pray for me? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time that we have together to engage in your word, God, to corporately worship you in this setting to where we can honor you above everything else. We can bring glory to your name, God. And God, right now, I just pray for your spirit that is in the room today, that that you, Holy Spirit, will break down the walls that we are, are confined in, God, that you will break any barriers that people may have to following you. God, we pray for, for me up here, God, that you would just remind me of the authority that your son Jesus has given me, God. And we thank you for, the, for, for just your fa- for the Father and for the fact that he has a plan for every single one of us in the room today and that he has sovereignly brought us all here together today. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's read Romans 14, starting in verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. There's a reason he's weak, right? Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. 
Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now for Raisin Traditional Church, I would say this is the word of God for the people of God. And you guys would say, or thanks be to God. Maybe we grew up in different traditional churches. Okay, fair enough. I assumed the wrong thing. Okay, so normally in my church, we say, thanks be to God. I was just trying to get to know who here was coming from, what backgrounds and things like that. Out of all the things I expected to say, those were not one of them. So that's totally fine, though. Anyways, (laughs) now I'm just a little thrown off because you guys didn't say what I was expecting you guys to say. Come on, guys. But anyways, as we're reading here, we start to see that Paul here is speaking to a specific problem that was happening in the church of Rome. But what we have to remember as we're reading this is that it, Romans is a letter, and so every single thing is connected. So in fact, the prior three tra- chapters, uh, 11, 12, and 13, Paul has been talking about how we as humans are to interact with each other, both believers and non-believers, focusing pri- uh, primarily on the love of Christ and how we're to love one another. And then when we get to Romans 14, we see Paul start speaking from those truths that he has, has just revealed to us in the previous chapters to a specific problem. He starts applying those things to a specific problem that was happening in the church of Rome, specifically between two groups of people. And it's important for us to know who these two groups of people are for us today for the sake of context, context but also for the sake of, of other things as well. Read verse 1 and 2 again. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, underline weak in faith. 
He says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Circle opinions as many times as you want. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, Paul here is referring to two types of people, the weak and the strong. And he's not saying that people are weak because they're only eating vegetables. This is not a message for people to bulk up and start eating some protein by no means. And he's not even saying that one group of people is more saved than the other group of people. What he's referring to here is the location of a believer on their journey to Jesus. We see here in Romans 14, him talking about people that are on this journey to Jesus, that are on this, what we call the dirt road of sanctification. He's talking about the maturity of the believer. And specifically, the weak people he's referring to were these new Jewish Christians that were coming from the tradition and and faith of Judaism, and yet they were now believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But they were weak because they still didn't quite, they still couldn't quite grasp the full concept of God's freedom and they still had to do certain practices and observe certain traditions so that they could keep the faith, so that they could have a clear conscience. And the strong that he refers to were people who did not come from the Jewish background and understood that they had this freedom. And so they were engaging in aspects of the world that other people thought Christians could not. And yet they understood that Christ had fulfilled and freed them to do certain things. But what Paul is here is, is saying between these two group, groups of people, he's not saying that one is saved and one is not saved. He's not saying that one is better than the other. He's just saying that they are Christians, but yet they had different opinions. He's addressing the people that had different opinions about what was good and bad or, and, and what was right and wrong. And it's important for us today to know this, like I said, not just for the sake of context, but because each of us in the room today and those watching from church at home, each of us can find ourselves in this position of being a weak Christian or a strong Christian. That some of us have to abstain from certain aspects of the world in order to keep a clear conscience, even though scripture does not explicitly tell us to stay away from those things. And some of us are stronger Christians, and we have developed these practices over time to where they're just ingrained in our way of life. Please don't think I'm saying that one is better than the other. They are both saved. They are both, like what Susan just said, she basically just preached for me, right? That that we are all equipped in different ways. We're all in different stages of life, and yet we can all engage with the same living God. But I say all of this because it's important for you and I to identify where we are today on our faith journey. Because if we don't know where we are right now, it will be extremely hard to get where we're going. It's a basic rule of thumb for anything, especially when it comes to traveling. Now, can I just get a survey of the room again? I'm not assuming any answers this time, okay? But raise your hand if you've ever gone on a car trip for, let's say, eight hours or more. Just raise your hand. Eight hours or more. Wow, okay, see, I assumed we weren't going to have that many people, and look at that, the whole room. Anyways, yeah, so we've all gone on these trips, and one that comes to mind for, for me specifically, my family traveled a ton as a kid. We, we went to Michigan and Canada, we, our families are up there, and so in all this traveling, the one that stands out to me is when my dad and I drove from Michigan to Tennessee as we were moving when I was seven years old. That my dad and I, my dad took me early down to Tennessee because we were going to meet the movers. And also we were breeding golden, not wheat, we had a breeder that was breeding goldens that had puppies. And so we had eight new puppies that we had to take down. They just wouldn't fit in the car. So my dad and I were traveling from Michigan to Tennessee with eight screaming puppies and two full goldens. One of them was named Cassie, not my wife, Cassie, but the dog named Cassie. It's weird. It it is a little mind trippy for me being married to a Cassie and having great memories of a dog named Cassie. Anyways, besides the point, but before we went on this trip, 
we needed something. We needed directions, right? And this was before the day and age of iPhones, and this was before the day and age of even Garmin's. I say before the day and age like I'm 80 years old. I was seven at the time. But there was this navigational breakthrough called MapQuest. Anybody remember MapQuest? Yes, potentially. Yeah, MapQuest. If you're unfamiliar with it, it was a navigational site where you typed in your destination. Then your parents fought for about 30 minutes over which route was going to be the fastest route. And then whichever parent won was the route that you took. The directions got printed out on a sheet of paper. And then for some reason, the person in the passenger seat became some sort of navigational expert when it came to directions. And this was the position I found myself in at seven years old from Michigan to Tennessee, a now navigational guide, and I'm still struggling with certain words on a piece of paper. So anyways, we're on our way down, and somewhere along the way, whether it was from the fault of the person driving the car or the person uh, reading the directions, you all can decide whose fault it was, my dad and I got lost. Somewhere in Kentucky, I think, it doesn't really matter, we were just plain flat out lost. So once we realized that we were lost, my dad pulls over to the side of the road, He pulls out that map that you have to unfurl that takes up the entire width of the windshield, right? He has that. He's looking at the map quest directions, and he's getting frustrated because he doesn't know where we need to be going next. He knows that we're supposed to be in Johnson City, but we're not there, and we're lost. That it's impossible to know how to get to your end destination if you don't know where you are. And that's what was happening to us right now. We couldn't get to Tennessee, not because we didn't know how to get there, but we didn't know where we were right then and there. It's the same thing for us today in our faith journey, that when we accept Jesus, there are going to be bumps and twists and turns and obstacles in our journey towards him. And what we have to do is we have to honestly identify where we are on our journey at all times so that we can know what we need to be working on, not in a legalistic way, but what we need to be working on so that we can engage with the Father on a deeper level. We, did, we need to know if we're weak Christians, if we need to set up certain things and set up practices daily so that they can become just the rhythm of our life. And we need to know the strong points of our faith as well so that when hard times come, we have something that we can lean on and into. We have to identify in ourselves where we are on this faith journey, whether we are weak or strong. And what was happening here in the church of Rome was that as people were identifying the weak and strong Christians here, that there was an issue that was starting to arise that Paul addresses. That people were judging that where someone was on their journey determined if they were saved or not. That if someone was a little bit maybe quote-unquote farther behind, not being closer to Jesus or more saved or anything like that, but less mature, then somehow they were less of a Christian and they were judging these people. They were condemning each other. And whenever the word judgment is mentioned in scripture, it starts to bring, usually it's a pretty hot topic issue, I would say, because I think scripture uses it in so many diverse settings and they say things like judge not lest you be judged, but they also say judge fairly. And so we start to get confused. But if we look at the context of what Paul is saying here in verses four through 12, we see that he's speaking out against a specific type of judgment. Look at the situation here. You had You had Gentiles that were now Christians that were judging these Jewish Christians for still observing their traditions and practices, assuming that that meant that they were trying to work their way into heaven and didn't understand the grace of God. But you also had Jewish Christians saying that these Gentiles, now believers, were not Christians because they were doing whatever they wanted and they weren't abstaining from certain things and they were eating the things that were quote-unquote unclean. But what Paul here addresses to these people is not who's in the right or who's in the wrong. He's not saying that certain people should start eating meat and certain people should start abstaining from certain meats and and drinks and traditions and holidays. 
he's speaking out against the way in which they were judging those whose actions they did not agree with. While it may seem here like Paul is saying that we're not to judge at all, he's speaking to a specific type of judgment, one that judges the intentions of the heart rather than the fruits of the action of that person. He's talking about a judgment that stems from condemnation rather than a judgment that comes out of a hope for that person. And there were two things that were wrong with this type of judgment of each other that Paul expounds on in verses 4 through 12 that we can't necessarily read, on, read all of, but I want to read verse 4 very quickly to us again today. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That he says that they were judging from the wrong perspective, that they thought that they were somehow spiritually superior, and so it changed their status in relation to that person. That these people were coming to these Jewish Christians and they were saying, you guys are sinning because I can somehow, in my limited perspective, see the intentions of your heart, and I can see that you are not saved because you're trying to work your way into heaven. It's like if we would go up to, to God and we would like lean up on his shoulder and point out someone who's sitting and be like, can you believe this guy? Like, look what he's doing right now. And God would look at you like, what are you talking about, dude, right? It's, it's kind of what Jesus says in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged too, and also take the stick out of your own eye before you judge or talk about the speck in someone else's. Jesus and Paul here are not saying that we are not to judge. We are to judge, but he's, they are speaking out against a specific type of judgment that condemns someone's salvation because of the position where they are on this faith journey. But while he's also talking about this, he starts to say, or sorry, he's saying that we are still judging from the wrong perspective, that each of us needs to understand that we are all unrighteous, that God's grace has covered every single one of us. And so while we may be on different parts of the journey, what matters is that God has chosen us, not each other in this room. That you all do not play a part in whether or not I am saved by God. God does not look at you guys and get a consensus, should Nathan be saved or not? But that it is God's grace in my life, working through his spirit, that convicts me of my sin, makes me repent, and starts following him. That it comes from this right perspective that all of us are undeserving, and yet God has shown grace and chosen us, and we are now his. But he also says that this type of judgment focused on the wrong things. At the beginning, I said circle that word opinions, that really what was happening here was that they were condemning each other over what I would call the disputable aspects of the faith, the opinions of the faith, the things that are not explicitly stated in Scripture. And Paul takes this moment in verses 7 and 8 to remind these people of the bigger picture. He says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That it's not living for ourselves. It's not about dying on the hill that we think is the right hill to die. And it's about living for Jesus, dying on the hills that Jesus died on, both literally and physically, or literally and figuratively, and, and focusing on him and following him. It's about focusing on what's really important. And yet what we saw the church, people in the church of Rome doing were focusing on the disputable aspects of faith. And because of that, it was dividing them. 
And the same problem that I think that happened in the church of Rome happens today between believers. It just looks a little different, right? Like we're not arguing about whether or not we can eat meat, especially here in the South. We have bacon, sausage. We have gravy that has sausage in it that then goes on top of sausage. Uh, We have fried chicken. We have about 20 different establishments that are all different food chains that all serve fried chicken. We're We're not arguing whether or not we should be eating meat. And yet I think that there are still problems and disputes that we have as Christians that if we're being honest are opinions. Now, before I say this, I want to make sure that we know that I'm not talking about the things that we know for certain are absolutely bad. Things like murder, stealing, cheating on your spouse, lusting over a man or woman, addiction of any sort, idolizing something or owning a cat. We know that those things are bad. And if we see someone doing it, we have to call those things out. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the disputable things that divide Christians and takes the focus off of God and onto our own agenda. Things like what movies we're allowed to watch, how much time we spend on our phone, what we can drink, who we should be voting for, what we spend our money on, how we should be taking communion, whether Satan and Santa are one in the same, and if it's okay to celebrate Valentine's Day or Halloween. I know I'm making people mad. Just hang with me for a little bit longer and you'll understand my heart in all of this. I point these things out because as Christians, the things that tend to divide us are not these indisputable matters like the Trinity. While there are some matters where we do are divided for very good reasons, but for the most part, we are divided over disputable matters that are truly what I would say opinions. And this is exactly what's happening in the church of Rome. That Christians were making their faith the cookie cutter faith for every other person. So they would walk over to someone, put it up against them and say, you don't look exactly like me. Therefore, there's no way that you are possibly saved. That people had their own traditions and practices and ways of engaging with God and abstaining from certain things so that they could keep the faith. And they assumed that every other person had to be doing the exact same thing in order to have a real relationship with Jesus. They were placing their traditions over the bigger picture. They were placing their opinions over God's commandments. Reminds me of a story in Matthew 15 between Jesus and a group of Pharisees. And Jesus and Pharisees had run-ins all throughout Scripture. And the Pharisees, if you're unfamiliar with them, were a group of religious, usually legalistic leaders. And they always tried to attempt to catch him slipping up with his words or saying something heretical or doing something like that. And on one account in Matthew 15, we see The Pharisees addressed Jesus and his disciples for breaking a tradition of the elders by not washing themselves before they eat. What we would maybe call washing your hands. Which, pause for a moment. I'm not agreeing with the Pharisees in this moment. But I also think that they should have probably been washing their hands, right? Like, does that mean that we don't have to wash our hands? Like, if if you tell your kid to wash their hands now and they say to you, I don't have to because Jesus didn't, you're kind of in a bind right there. Because Jesus is not. Obviously, we know it's something more than that. But anyways... They say, why do you break the tradition of the elders by not washing before you eat, when they eat? And Jesus responds, not even answering the question, but by actually undermining the significance of what they were asking. In my opinion, he claps back and he says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? What Jesus here is is speaking to is what the Pharisees were doing at the time was they were working the system to take advantage of the parents of a son who owned property. That's a long story short. And so, in fact, there's a commandment that from God that says to honor your father and mother. And by them working the system, they were bringing dishonor to the father and mother and breaking a commandment of God. And so what Jesus says next is, I think, one of the most poignant soul-cutting sentences in the Bible. 
He says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. That they said, that, that, that they had made what they said more important than what God said. That they had made their own traditions on a higher level of importance of following than God's own commandments. And in doing so, they were destroying not only their own message and ministry, but also the word of God. When we place these disputables, when we make these disputable aspects of our faith so black and white, at times we can start to destroy God's word. Please don't sit here today and think that I'm saying that all of these small aspects of our faith are unimportant and we should never really care about them. They are truly important, but what Paul says way down in Romans 14 is that it is between you and God, that it is between your own conscience and what it's convicting you to, and also what scripture says and does not say. Because he's saying that when these things become the focal points of our faith, what we're doing is we're placing our own opinions and traditions and practices above God's commandments. We're taking the focus off of God's commands and and God's agenda and putting it onto our own agenda. We're no longer living for the Lord, but we're living for Nathan. And in doing so, he's saying that we cause those around us, not even just us, but those around us to miss the whole point of our faith. That our faith is not about following traditions and practices. Our faith is about following Jesus. Our faith isn't about pursuing perfection. It's about pursuing the perfecter of our faith. But when we get caught up in this pursuit of perfection in our own life, we start to become like the Pharisees because we start to think legalistically about every single thing that we're doing, thinking that somehow by me doing or not doing something, I could cause God to deem me less worthy or take away my salvation. That's not what is happening here. He's saying that we need to get caught up in the pursuit of the perfecter of our faith, not so that we can become like the Pharisees, but so that we can become more like Jesus. That that's the big picture of our faith, not to follow all these little rules, because when we start doing that, it's an empty perfection that leads us to emptiness. But when we understand this big picture that's about following Jesus, it causes us and causes the people in the church of Rome to stop judging and condemning each other over the disputable aspects of the faith and causes them to start loving each other in practical, selfless, sacrificial ways. It's verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather never decide or decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Remember when Paul says, therefore, he's addressing a previous point. And so what he's saying is that since God has chosen us and we don't have to be caught up with whether or not that person is saved. And while we could get into disputes about what is right or wrong, in all of that, rather than trying to fix someone who we don't even have the power to fix, let's get them to the one who can fix them. He's saying it's not about being right here. It's about loving your neighbor enough to be able to say that even if, if, I, if I just start loving you and leading you to Jesus, I'm going to trust that even if you think that I'm saying that what you're doing is okay, I'm going to trust that if I just lead you to Jesus, you will start to be convicted in your own heart. That the best way we love someone is by getting them to Jesus. Paul takes our faith outside of ourselves and says, while salvation is between only you and God, Like I said, you have no part in my salvation aside from maybe telling me about the gospel. But even then, it is the Spirit working through your words in my heart that convicts me. It's not you that saves people. My salvation 
Whether I'm saved or not is between me or God. And he says, while your salvation is between you and God, your sanctification is between me and those around me. That our faith is no longer just about ourselves. Our faith journey is about all of us in this room today. Going back to this trip that my dad and I went on from Michigan to Tennessee, I'm sure the the trip changed drastically than if my dad would have gone by himself. If he would have gone by himself, he could have listened to whatever he wanted to listen to. He could have eaten the snacks that he likes. He could have stopped when he had to go to the bathroom. He could do all of these things, right? And he probably wouldn't have gotten lost because he wouldn't have me in his ear maybe saying the wrong directions. And yet because I was in the car with him, he was no longer just concerned about his own desires, his own needs, and his own wants, even though he had the power to choose whatever he wanted to because he's my dad and he can say and put his foot down and say, we're going to have trail mix and nothing else, right? Which, why do dads always pick trail mix for this car, car trip? Anyways, I'm so sick of trail mix. That's so besides the point. But he started to have to stop when I had to stop to go to the bathroom or give me a bottle. That's being honest, but, you know, one of the two. He had to choose snacks. He had to listen to things that I also wanted to listen to out of his love for me. That if he didn't love me, he would have just done whatever he wanted to do. If he didn't love me and he accidentally left me at a gas station, he wouldn't have said, well, you know, as long as I make it to Tennessee, right? Like, I'm sure, you know, my wife can go and pick him up on the way down here. No, he would turn around and he would pick me up and make me make sure that I would get to the end destination too. Because it's not just about him anymore. It's about those in the car with him. It's the same with us on our faith journey. It's what Paul here is alluding to in Romans 14, that we're not on this journey alone. It's not just about me and Jesus anymore, that it's about those around me. So at times, for the sake of my brother, I'm going to have to give up certain things that Christ has fulfilled and freed me to do, not because I can't do them, but because those around me can't do them. It's a love for my brother that stems from Christ's love that is sacrificial and selfless, thinking not only of myself, but also the interests of others. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, that as we follow Jesus, we start to become more like him. We start to realize that Jesus did not live for himself, but that he lived for others around him. Jesus did not die for himself, but he died for others around them. What Paul and Timothy and Jesus are challenging us to do is to give up our own selves for the sake of our brother and sister. He's trying to get them to realize that, yes, your freedom is important in doing certain aspects and things that you were once not able to do, but it's not more important than the journey that you were on and the journey that others around you are on. He's saying that the freedom that Christ has given us through the fulfillment of the law is so much more than just eating or drinking certain things. Romans 14, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. That today Christ has freedom, Christ has, has freed us, as Jackie Hill Perry says in her book, uh, Gay Girl, Good God, she says, the faith that we have that frees us to do things is not to do as we please, but to do what is pleasing. And that the church of Rome, and that I think to, sometimes today, we can forget that this freedom is not just getting to eat certain things and drink certain things, but it's so much more than that. It's about righteousness and peace and joy. If today as I'm talking, you're trying to justify some things that you're doing in your own life because you enjoy doing them, or if you are trying to just push down those thoughts that I understand that my brother or my sister in Christ is struggling with these things and I have not been giving it up. If we're unable to give up these things for the sake of the journey to Jesus, what we're doing is we're making an assumption that what God has in store for you instead of those things isn't going to be as good. God isn't asking us to give up certain things. He's not asking us to love our neighbor in our in this way because he loves to see us unhappy or angry or miserable. The reason he asks us to do these things is because he has something better in store for us. Something that's so much better than any, any food or drink, even no matter how good bacon is and no matter how good sausage and gravy is, it's even better than those things. When I was first coming to the faith and I was trying to work out what it even looked like to follow Jesus, I remember being so weighed down because I was thinking that the rest of my life was about to just be this miserable journey where I just had to dutifully follow him and that I was always going to be unhappy and that I was never going to get to do anything that I wanted to do. And yeah, it's a little selfish even of a thought, but I had people in my life that were trying to ward me away from the prosperity gospel in a really good way, to, to ward me away from the prosperity gospel and in doing so, they were using words like, the rest of your life is going to be hard. That following Jesus isn't easy, it's a challenge. And while all of those things are absolutely true, I think that that can take the focus off of sometimes that following Jesus is fun. <laughs> it sounds kind of funny to say out loud that following Jesus is fun. But it is. Paul doesn't just use words like joy, just willy-nilly, right? Like he uses them for a specific purpose because when we're following Jesus, when we're truly following Jesus in a dedication, dedicated life, it's not going to be that we have to go live in a cave in a burlap sack as underwear for the rest of our lives. It's that we now get to enjoy certain aspects of the world as our conscience as, and as scripture allows us to with a new perspective. We can watch a movie and see, oh my gosh, these directors didn't even realize it, but there's a Christ narrative in this movie. We can eat food and be like, oh my gosh, this tastes good. It's not just that it tastes good, it's that God made it good for you and for I for our own enjoyment. That God has made things of this world that are not unclean in and of themselves, but are only unclean when we start to place them above God or idolize them in our own life or become addicted to those things, that's when those things become wrong and we have to monitor those things in our heart. Absolutely. But he's saying that following Jesus is not living in a cave in a burlap sack. It is responsibly viewing scripture and your own conscience in light of grace and truth and loving your neighbors in the same exact way. This journey to Jesus that you and I are on or can potentially be on today if you are not on this journey to Jesus 
reveals to us the things that are really important in our life, freeing us from the bondage of sin and temptations that have always left us empty and wanting more. So today, I don't know what you are bound to. I don't know what burdens you're under. I don't know what battles you are fighting or what things the Spirit is convicting you or has convicted you to give up in the past. But what I do know is that whether you are a believer in the room today, whether you are an unbeliever in the room today, whether you are a weak or strong believer, I and my encouragement to you today is to keep pursuing Jesus. To keep pursuing the one who is the perfecter of our faith, and in doing so, you will find the things that will eternally please your soul to the deepest depths of it. The freedom that you and I walk in today is not a freedom to do as we please. It's a freedom to finally do what is most pleasing to our soul. It's a freedom that only comes from following Jesus. I want to end today, and the band can even come out, by quoting a hymn from Charles Wesley. He says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I invite you guys today to walk in the freedom that the cross provides to finally do what we once could not do, which is follow Jesus. To pursue not empty perfection, but to pursue the fulfiller of our perfection. If you're a believer in the room today, we can take these words from Paul and use them as encouragements to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, to focus on the things that matter. To judge, yes, when judgment is needed, when we can see the fruits of their actions have led to addictions or idolization or anything like that, but to first and foremost love them in grace and truth. It's not just what Paul is speaking to us today, it's what Jesus has called us to in this life of following all that he is. It's an invitation that is open to anyone and everyone today who is wanting to start this journey to Jesus or keep pursuing this journey to Jesus. I know I was said I was going to pray, but I don't really feel led to pray in this moment. And so I want to just take this moment to get into our worship today. And I'll come back up and I'll close us in prayer. But my invitation to you guys today is as you guys stand uh, for worship is to walk in this freedom that God has provided to us through this grace that is Jesus. To be able to live freely, not to do as we please, but to do what is eternally and holistically pleasing. And to understand that this is an invitation that is open to anyone and everyone, that you don't have to be fixed first to come to Jesus, but that you come as you are, you start this journey wherever you are, and in doing so, find this freedom, peace, righteousness, joy, and love. It's a beautiful and fun journey to be on, and I'm inviting you to it today. Let's worship.